welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. So what's the second question you ask when you meet someone? Assuming the first one is often, what's your name? Thank you, Musos. Uh, what do you do? Which is a little sad because we tend to pigeonhole people and just categorise them, you know, according on their job. Like, you know, what's that? Oh, oh, you've got a doctorate. Oh, well, I've got this pain in my groin. Could you have a look? Oh, so, oh a doctorate of philosophy. Oh, okay. Sorry. Other, you know, or, um, oh, you're a second-hand car salesman. Oh. Okay, there's a little connotation there, a little, maybe you're just expecting something about their character to line up with the job a little too much. And so we can make these assumptions, you know, which is, oh, oh, you're a businessman. Oh, must be nice. You know, you assume that they're wealthy, but maybe they're really, really struggling. Or, or how about, oh, you're a lawyer. Oh, 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 and a Christian. How does that work? You know, now apologies to any lawyers, just having a joke, but, um, you know, there are sort of preconceptions that people have that, that aren't really helpful. But at the same time, when you ask someone what they do, it does tell you something about them and that's informative. So what would God say if you said, what do you do? Would God say, well, I don't know if you've heard, but I was pretty busy for about six days in a row a while ago, created the whole world. People messed it up, had to do a real rescue mission, big sacrifice on my son's behalf, <gasps> solved all that. So right now we're just kicking back, to be honest in semi-retirement really or would he say oh what do I do the calls I get the the help desk they just don't screen at all they send them straight through to me I've got people calling out to me all the time I want to get one of those phone systems that those organizations have that say um uh we value your call and then they keep you waiting for an hour or two. <laughs> God's saying, I want to get one of them. I really, but I can't because I'm God and I'm not that cruel. It's just not a good look. You know? And so, no, no, he's not going to say any of that, is he? What would God say? Of course he created the world. And Jesus, the work that he did has been done. The work on the cross. It is finished, he said. But God's work isn't finished. That work was done. Salvation is available. It's all up for us and other people to decide what they do with what Jesus has done for us to be born again, to come into a relationship with God. But there is still an ongoing work that God's involved in. And so what is that? And that's what I want you to think with me today. What does God do? What's his work about? What sort of, you know, what's he working on right now? What projects he involved in, as people would say? Um, Well, the Bible tells us, in a number of places. I'll give you just three verses that we'll look at. And um, the, the first one's in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, which you can turn to or look at or see up here. And there it is. This is a prayer that Paul is praying under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, praying for the church of Philippi 2,000 years ago, but also for us by God's will for the words to be in the Bible. And he prays, I'm confident of this, that he, that's God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So here's God's workplace. Here's God's prioritising of where he works. It's work in you, in us, and he's going to keep doing it until Jesus comes back. He began it, but he's not finished. And if you go over to the next chapter, 
you virtually flick over the electronic page to chapter 2. And there in verse 13, it says, God works in you again. And look, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. In other words, God puts his will in our hearts. When we want to, we can find out what God's will is. And then he actually gives us the anointing and the skills and the motivation to do his will. And why? For his good purpose, for the glory of God. So that's really exciting. You don't have to get lost in life going, I don't know what I should do. No, it's right there. God will show you what to do and then he'll help you to do it. And he does it in you, in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, right deep inside. One more, sorry, Hebrews 13 verse 20. Now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he, ready, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he, watch, work in us what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever and amen. So you get the idea. God's work is where? In us. And it's going on right now as much as we would like, which sounds great, and it is. But it can also be a bit scary and a little uncomfortable and a little challenging because the kind of work God does is character work, and he's building us up in our character, which can be kind of uncomfortable, actually can be quite painful, as you may know, because God's great goal in life for you, more than anything else, is for us to become more like Jesus. And that can be a bit of a wild journey and a rocky road along the way. This journey of personal growth, personal change. And uh, and so, you know, our buttons can get pushed and we, you know, our attitudes can get exposed. And it can therefore be quite tempting to just step off from God's personal growth plan and say, whoa, this is too uncomfortable. I don't don't want this. Um, Who's ever been whitewater rafting? It's exciting, you know. Um, in fact, if you want to go next level, Caleb, son-in-law, drumming here, will take you, if you're in Queenstown, where has he gone? Anyway, Caleb was uh, a river surfing guide for many years when he was a single, young, crazy man before he's now a sad, boring old father, you know, of two, and he's got a regular job and all that. But... Um, Forget the raft, they dive in the, it's the Shotover River, isn't it, in Queenstown? And they go through the rapids just with lilos, I think, and and wetsuits and he's got some crazy stories. Um, But, you know, if you do the rapids, it's very exciting if you're in a raft and, as I said, even more so without a raft, but it's all very exciting. But it can also be quite scary. Uh, And so often when they're going on these trips, there'll be like a, um, we did it, Luke and Hudson and I, you know, up at Coffs Harbour once. And, um, and so then they'll take a little respite because they'll find a little backwater. Ah, and it's all like, ah, and then, ah, oh, it settles down. Here we go. And then you just, and, and if you really find it too much, of course, you could just pull into that little offside pool, backwater, and just stay there. And that's what some people do with the whole character growth thing with God wanting to help them and work on them, but it feels uncomfortable and painful and a little bit turbulent and, ah, just, I'm just pulling out over here. And sadly, some people just stay in the backwater. And that's our choice. But it's not a great choice because what happens? 
you actually stay in the same place. Scenery might be nice for a little while, but you never get to keep going on in your journey. There's more to be seen and experienced in life further down the river, but yeah, there may be some rapids as well. There may be some challenging rocky moments with God sort of, you know, exposing stuff. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we, we don't want to do that. And of course, you don't want your journey to come to an end there um, because water that doesn't keep moving stagnates. And that's also indicative of what some people's lives are like, where they're just leveled off, things stagnate. They just stay the same. And they've basically said, God, I want to stop you working in my life. Um, and the fact is, we want to move forward. We want to improve, and, and God wants this for us. He wants you to be blessed in life. It's just that his plan for things to improve involves improving us from the inside out, not from the outside in. Because the Bible tells us man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And, um, and so he measures things very differently to the world around us. And, and we need to attune ourselves to his value system rather than the values of the world and our society. So for example, you know, God doesn't really get fussed at all about what we think sometimes is really important, like outward signs of success. God doesn't care how many followers or friends you've got on social media. He's not fussed about how big your bank account is, how successful your business might be, how many, uh, you know, people know about your ministry for him. You know, there's a lot of great ministry that goes on that no one ever knows about. And God's happy with that and we need to be too. But that's not the ways of the world. The ways of the world is like, something's happening in my life, I've got to tell everyone on Instagram, look at me, you know, woo, look at the world. In fact, really, that's hardly happening in my life. I'll just superimpose the fact, look, I'm on Mount Everest, da You know, and some people, maybe not Mount Everest, but, you know, the people are actually sometimes tempted to, I think with lockdown, I heard, I read some article about a social media, what do they call it, influencer, and, um, and she was getting called out because they had found her superimposing photos of herself, you know, ah, in front of the Eiffel Tower or whatever. It's like, actually, you were in, like, you know, Colorado. You, you couldn't, the lockdown, you weren't able to get there. Um, but the fact is, you know, God is more interested in the internals rather than the externals because on the inside is where we grow and change and improve. The thoughts, the attitudes, the mindsets, the motivations that are going on inside us, these are the places where we can grow, where God can move, and, uh, and we can become the people that God wants us to be, where you carry the presence of God clearer and stronger and more beautifully and shine light and share his love with people that need it. Um, I may have told this story, but... I'm sorry, if you've been in the same church for a while, you're going to hear the pastor tell the same stories. So, forgive me if you've heard this, but way back, 1995, we had come back from Russia, we started the church, and then I went back to Russia and supported the first C3 um, Europe conference that we ever had, because there were very few churches over there, but I thought I'll support that on the way, sponsored a missionary who was in Europe at the time to go there, went home via the States. So I had a round-the-world ticket so I could uh, go home via the Toronto Blessing, which was all happening at the time, a revival uh, in Toronto and Canada. But what I really wanted to do on the way home was to go to hear Jack Hayford preach. Now, some of you may not know Jack Hayford. He's in his twilight years now. 
but for many years, been just an amazing man of God. God's used him as a real bridge between the intellectual evangelical world and the crazy Pentecostals. And he's a thinking man's Pentecostal. So he's the editor of the Spirit-Filled Life Bible and wrote lots of great books. And I'd read a lot of his stuff. Ruth and I both really admired him. I'd hardly ever heard him preach. Didn't know. I knew his face because of the book covers and all that, but I didn't know the sound of his voice and hadn't heard him preach, but loved his stuff. And his church is in LA where I was having to come home. So I got to LA, driving around Los Angeles, visited Robert Shuler's Crystal Cathedral and stuck on the freeway. And I'm listening to Christian radio because there's a lot of it. And I get onto this preacher and they're, you know, preaching away and da, 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 And I just hear this guy and they, I don't know who it was, but they said, uh, I remember this preacher said, God is more interested in our character than our success. And I recoiled to that because here am I, gung-ho, young pastor, want to change the world in three weeks, have the biggest church this side of, you know, whatever. And so I'd come from Pastor Phil's church, which is a church of thousands, so I assume that's what you do and your church has to be bigger is better. It's all, you know, like, and I thought, don't say that. God's interested in his success. I thought, it sounds like, you know, just raining on my parade and, you know, throwing a wet blanket on growth and success because success is good. You know, and I so I really didn't like that statement. But then I listened to this preacher, and I'm thinking, oh, he's making a good point there. Oh, flip. Okay, well, I can't argue with that. Oh, man, he knows his Bible. You know, and I'm driving along. I think, God, he's convinced me. You know, he's right. God, wow, who is this guy? Sure enough, they go at the end of the. They say, Well, that was Pastor Jack Heyford from Church on the Way. I'm like, Oh, that's my hero. You know, I got to take it on board. <laughs> and so I've never forgotten. And it's there, right in my brain, and it got into my heart, and I realised. Yes, it's true. God is more. It doesn't sound exciting, does it? Character growth. Yay. You know, um, yeah, success. Oh, oh, it sounds so much more exciting and, and inviting. <sighs> but um, God does want to work on us and he is more interested in our character. And so how does this work? And, and, and how, you know, how does he work in us? Is it just automatic? Is it just that, oh, well, you, you become a Christian and then just things start magically happening? Well, sadly, no, because maybe like me, you've met people who have been Christians for many years and yet are still really immature, which is a bit sad. They, they still haven't really surrendered their life to Christ and they got all kinds of immature attitudes. And so that's not. And conversely, you can meet people who haven't been saved for very long at all and they are just full on for God, like... Um, Thanks, Joe. I I'll come back to you, that one. I'll get you to preach your example of that another time. Um, but I'm glad you thought of someone. Uh, Vanya and Tanya. Not Tony and Tanya, though they're amazing. We've got a Tony and Tanya in our church. When we were in Russia, Vanya and Tanya, Sukhrov. So this lady came to us and she's so excited. She's been born again and she, her name's Tanya. And, um, and she said, but pray for my husband. Uh, he's a businessman and uh, he's not a believer. And so we prayed for him. And then he came to church. Classic, big Russian guy uh, in business, carried a gun, mafia on the rise. They're not going to take me down. It was like, you know, just real gung-ho kind of guy. And he got saved. Bang, right, I'm in. Yeah, I get it. And so then within a couple of weeks, he says, right, I want to go back to my hometown, which is down near Sochi. You might know that because of Olympics. Way down on the Black Sea, little town, Lazarevskaya, outside Sochi. I want to go and start a church. And we're like, well, okay, you've only been a Christian for like two weeks, so 
you got to go to Bible school. You got to yeah, right. And he's like, Bible school, great. I'll do Bible school. I said, well, we're running a part time Bible. Yep, that'll do. Right, sign me up. And we and so we had to rethink our kind of approach because we assumed people were Christians for years and went into you know ministry training for a long period of time. And we just thought, this is a revival season. This is different. They're keen. Their attitudes seem great. All right, so we kind of fast-tracked him and, and, and prayed with the other Russian pastor there and anointed him. Off he went as a pastor and I visited, went down there. And there was no other church. Yes, there was no church in the town. That's true. Yeah, they, okay, so they needed a church there because there was no free church there. Just state-controlled religious church, but not able to preach the gospel. And so... Um, uh, and so, the, yeah, there was a great need. And he was a great evangelist. Like I said, he was a real gung-ho kind of guy. In fact, when their storage of marriage was hilarious, he was a tram driver. She was a, a, a conductor, you know, taking the tickets. And the first time he ever saw her, I think he proposed to her. He just saw He said, she got on my tram one day. We were rostered on together. She got on and he just went, I will marry you. She freaked out and just, you know, avoided him for months. And then he tracked her down and wore her down and married her. So he, like I said, he's gung-ho, right? Um, and now he's gone to be with the Lord. Um, she's still carrying on, loving people. They've adopted so many kids. They pastored that church and then they came back to St. Petersburg. And, you know, so there are times when God will put us on a fast growth track. Um, but they, those, that couple, they had... Attitudes, they positioned themselves in such a way that God could work on them and do a quick work on them and a good work on them. So what are those kind of attitudes? What should we do? How do we position ourselves? I'll give you five things. Number one, obviously, it's a heart of humility, a, a heart that, that is broken before God, a heart that says, God, like David wrote in the Psalms, create in me a clean heart. Just aware that my heart is not perfect and pure as it is. So God, just, oh, I'm teachable, I'm humble, I'm honest, I'm open, I'm, I'm just willing to lose my life, as Eleanor preached last week. Um, secondly, a good church. You know, it's funny, my role, my life, my calling, my job, if you like, I would never have thought that I would be a pastor. Like growing up, I was not brought up in a Christian family, even when I became a Christian. I just, the idea of church, I just, but I have become such a, a belief. So that what I'm saying is I don't just love church because of what I do. I do what I do because I love church. You know, it, it came that way around for me to just realise church is awesome. And yes, I know it's messy and imperfect and, 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 and there's problems and stuff, but it's, it's always worth the effort to engage or re-engage if you've been hurt or upset. And that's there's a lot of... Ah, pain in any institution or relationships and stuff that goes on. But the, the call of God's people together and the blessing of God. Anyway, I preached about the church only a few weeks ago, so you can listen to that. So I really think a church that encourages spiritual growth is a great place to be. And then flowing from that, which I think I preached on a bit, is the relationships that we can have, the iron sharpening iron, the, the fact that we get input from other people and God uses people. Everything God does on earth, practically, he uses people for. You know, for evangelism to win souls, with spiritual gifts that operate through people, with prophecies and miracles and, and healing and, and powerful prayer and so much uh, discipleship. God uses people to touch, bless and build other people, doesn't he? And um, I just see examples of that all the time in life. 
You know, very few people who are isolated are ever successful. Nothing wrong with the word successful. I'm just saying what I said before about character. It can lead to success with the right definition. I believe success is, is wonderful. I just determine, I just believe success is obeying God. That's my definition of, of success, you know, not outward stuff. And God uses people to help other people be successful. Um, and uh, just yesterday I saw, you know, a sporting example of that where you, you, you get some guys, you know, they're the Formula One driver or the, the person who's right there at the pointy end, but there's this massive team of experts and support and input that's helping that guy look like he's the only big success guy. Um, so church, learning and listening to other people. And also, you know, with learning from other people, it's not just the ones who always have your best interests at heart. Sometimes you can get really hurt and upset by people and God still uses that to work in you because it teaches you forgiveness and grace. You want to kill them, but you can't. Oh, I'm a Christian. All right. So then you have to forgive. And then it's like, oh, wow, I'm growing in God. I'm leaning on God and getting his grace and love flowing through me. And so God uses people in all different ways, all different kinds of people to help us grow. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit. You read the book of Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit and that's a whole subject of discussion and study that you can do on how the Holy Spirit, you know, lives in us and grows in us and connects with our spirit, regenerates our spirit, grows, produces godly attitudes and like a good tree, if you can just get the conditions right, the fruit just comes. So you don't have to work on, oh God, got to be more patient, you know. You know, you just find that you grow in patience if you're connected with the Holy Spirit. And then the fifth one I just want you to focus on with me is the Word of God. Reading, applying the Word of God into our lives is a major way that God grows and builds and works in us. So let me just show you a scripture or two. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, for this reason... Is that right? First, have I got the scripture on there? We constantly thank God for you. Oh, yeah, maybe I've just got a slightly different translation here. So let's read this one. We thank God continually because you, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is. Go on. The word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. You see that? The word of God, which is at work in you who believe. That helps. You've got to believe the Word of God. You can read the Bible without faith. It'll do you no good. It could be an interesting, you know, literary study, I guess, and that's what you could find in some uh, universities teaching on the Bible in a purely, you know, academic way. But if you read the Bible and believe and realise this is the Word of God, then that Word actually works in you. Isn't that amazing? Look at Hebrews 4 verse 12. You may know this scripture. The word of God is alive and active or full of power. Some Bible translations say it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And look, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Keep going. And it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's what the word of God does. The Passion Translation says... It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our hearts. So that 
is a good reason why some people don't read the whole Bible. You know, I'm just sticking to the Psalms. It says God loves me. But other stuff is like, yeah, it's secret motives are being exposed. It's like, whoa, it's uncomfortable. And yet it's good for us. Like I said, it's like the, the rocky road of the, the, the wild, turbulent waters of, of whitewater rafting. But if you approach the Bible with an honest, open heart, with a, a willingness for God to work in you, then as you read the Bible, study the Bible, memorise the Bible, meditate on the Bible, pray over the Scriptures that are there, then things start changing. And we don't necessarily always see it day to day. It's like little kids growing up, you know, with lockdown. It's amazing. I turn around, there's this young mature man sitting next to me on the front row. It's like, with his sharp haircut, it's like, happy. Oh, that's a little happy crowd. He's just like a little munchkin, this way. And then, you know, a little Archie out here. I see these, you know, they're all growing up. Matilda, she's still got the crazy hair, but she's like six foot tall, you know. And so, oh, and this is just a few months. But when you live with kids and people, you don't necessarily see the change day to day, but it's, it's happening and it's changing and things can shift with the Word of God. Our attitudes can shift. Our thoughts can change. And we start picking up on God's perspective on life, God's values, God's outlook, the Holy Spirit working with the Word, and we, we find ourselves adopting God's good, holy, godly values um, rather than the values of the world that will seep in if you're filling yourself with other stuff. And so honestly, when you read the Word and you really attend to it, you want to make sure that fills your hearts and minds rather than just what's on the telly or what you're listening to on you know, radio, social media, white noise, gossip, people whinging, complaining about the boss at work, you know, so much input. And you've got to filter all that and cope with all that. And if you don't put the Word of God in, all you'll end up with is this great big mesh of negativity and fear. I mean, if it's not climate change, there's something to be afraid of. Oh, what did I see in the paper just yesterday? Just like another great big, oh, I oh know, it's the big, the, the big, Threat is back. The big something is back. The big beast. I think the headlines was yeah. The beast is back. I'm like, what are we talking? Revelation? I don't know. Inflation. I said, if you were born in the last couple of decades, you probably don't know what it is. But oh, us oldies, us boomers. Who would have thought boomers would be a criticism? You Karens. You boomers. You know. All right. Sorry if your name's Karen. I love you. God loves you. And change your name. No, 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 don't, no, don't change your name. But, you know, young people, righto, boomer. It's like, okay, settle down, millennial, you know. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, but, you know the, the, the threat of inflation, it's, it's just the latest thing that the media can get onto and go, oh, because in America it's 6% and we're growing up and 3% could be, oh, inflation's terrible. There's always something to be afraid of. That's what I'm saying. But if you fill your life with the Word of God, it's like, yeah. Whatever, it's, I'm full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. I'm strong in God. i got the power of God in my life. No, I'm more than a conqueror. I've mean, got all this truth just, you know, in my heart. My, it, it, that doesn't, that's just information that doesn't have to shake and rattle my life, yeah? Because this is what I'm standing on. Okay, so, but like I said, you've got to read it with a willingness to let it work on you. And that means honestly reflecting on what you read and considering how it applies for your life and not just picking and choosing, but praying God's word, God's will to be done in your life. And so God's going to do this. And when will it finish? 
Well, what did Philippians 1 verse 6 say? I'm confident that this work will continue right up to the completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So this side of heaven, this side of Jesus coming back, uh, we're not going to be finished. It's a lifelong adventure. But that's good. I've always loved that phrase, um, under construction, to reflect on what the Christian life is like. Because we aren't perfect. We're still sinning while we're becoming more like Christ. It describes the fact that, you know, you can launch into ministry feeling unprepared and, and, and sort of inadequate, but that's okay because you're under construction. And it also describes this ongoing work of God that is still happening and you never fully arrive, but that doesn't mean you don't try and don't keep, you know, positioning yourself well for God to work on you. And, um, and so that's exciting because, you know, really it's a, it's a, it's a win-win. We, we enjoy life more when we are more mature. And as we grow in God, we're a blessing to other people. So I'd like to think that you probably don't throw a tantrum if you get told to wait for your coffee because they're serving like 50 people in five minutes, you know. But once you would have when you are in the sandpit and someone stole your Tonka truck, you chucked the tantrum, but you were two. So you'd like to think that you've grown, you know. And so we have an opportunity. And as we grow, then we don't, we don't, we can take it in our stride. It's all right after you. The coffee, I can wait. It's all right. You know, but it's not enjoyable when you're throwing tantrums in your whole life, you know, over everything. So it's, it's a real win-win. Let me finish with this concept that, um, you know, like I said, we've got a, it's a win-win, but we've got to let God in. We've got to invite him in. And it's a no-brainer when you think it through, but it, like I said, it can be uncomfortable inviting God in. It's a bit like, you know, you want your home renovated and you hear about this amazing builder. So let's say you really need a new kitchen or you really want, you know, the whole bathroom renovated or something and you've heard about this amazing builder, but he's expensive, hard to get, booked up for years, you know, it's impossible. And then one day there's a knock on the door and there he is. The builder you've heard about. He says, oh, I heard you needed a big reno. Yeah. Well, I've actually got a little window. I'm, I'm able to fit you in. I could start tomorrow. <gasps> and, and I don't want to charge you a thing. I'm, profits are really good. I just put it, got, it's on my heart. I just, oh, what would you, would you say no? And yet, if you carry that analogy to God, yes, people do. Would you say, oh, no, no, I can do it myself. All right, thanks anyway. <laughs> Self-made man, don't need you, you know. Well, that'd be dumb, especially if you're as good as I am at home handyman stuff. Um, we were in our house for about a day and I'd put a shelf in our laundry. Uh, yeah, sorry, babe, we need a shelf in the laundry? No worries. Psh, water going everywhere, right? Call the plumber, <laughs> you know. And uh, there's a nice little kind of plaque in our laundry might look out of place, so you might know why they're there, because the bodgy gyprock job that I did after filling in the hole needed covering. Anyway, so if you're like me, you'd say yes to that. But, but some people in this analogy say no. They say, oh, no, no, I could do it myself. Or, no, thanks anyway, but you know that beige tile we have in the bathroom, it's really grown on me since the 1970s. I'm sort of starting to feel really comfortable. I like it just the way it is. That's also, people say, no, no, I'm just, I'm just the way I am. It's fine. I'm in the backwater of the, no, I don't want any more. I, no, I'm a self-made man. God, don't even need your help. Well, that's crazy, isn't it? 
You would invite him in. And yes, it would be messy. The Renaults would be annoying. There's mess involved, but the end result is better. C.S. Lewis also liked that house building analogy. I'll finish with a quote of his. He said this, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains dried and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that these jobs needed doing. And so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. (laughs) Go, C.S. Lewis. Praise the Lord. Let me finish with one last scripture. You heard that verse where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone lets me in, I'll come and dine with him. A lot of people use that in evangelistic circles. Revelation 3.20, you know, saying, oh, just open the door, Jesus will come in and save you. And that's true. But, but that was written to the church. That, that was a prophecy that John recorded, revelation from Jesus to Christians. So he's knocking on the door of Christians saying, will you let me in? Will you let me into your house? Will you let me come in and work in you? And I really believe that the calling is on us to open the door and then to let him come in and do his work in our lives. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Wonderful. We thank you, Lord. Uh, You're a master builder. Your work is amazing. We see that in creation, in nature. We see that in people. With all our flaws, we see the beauty and the wonder. But Lord God, we do feel your calling to not be perfect, but just to grow in you. Just, just to see the Holy Spirit grow His fruit. To see the Word of God do its work. And to let other people bless us with input. To grow in you, Lord God. We pray that you'd help us. And I pray... You know, all of us, you know, if you're here today or if you're watching online and you you don't know the Lord Jesus personally, I want to encourage you to give your life to Him. You can pray a prayer in 10 seconds. Just, God, I'm sorry for the way I've lived my life. Forgive me. Save me. Come into my life. Show me how to live. Amen. Bang, right there. You can enter into the family of God. Jesus can become the greatest friend leader, Lord of your life. He loves you and He will come in because He's knocking on the door of your heart. I pray that you would pray that kind of prayer or come and talk to me at the end of the service if you're here and you want to pray that prayer of commitment. And for all of us, Lord, we recommit our lives today to you, Lord. Grow in us, build in us, do your work in us that we might reflect Jesus to this world, the dying dark world that needs the loving light of God to shine and lift people up. We can bring that more and more as we have you working in us.
hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.